Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. Not everyone can have a perfect bracket, but you can have the perfect set of balls this tournament season. With the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming have just launched their ultra-premium collection to give you the total champion hygiene routine. After sweating out the games, make sure that you lather up head to toe with this all-in-one skin and hair kit to have your body and balls smelling final for fresh. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com, use the code PEAKSPEAK for 20% off plus free shipping. This is a Cinderella story you're not going to want to miss. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PEAKSPEAK. Make sure you call on Manscaped this tournament season on or your bracket won't be the only thing that's busted. So here we are, back on an episode of Peaks Peak, and I got a sneak peek, a Peaks Peak sneak peek oh. of uh, another new coffee from our good friends at Prism Coffee Co. Oh. I have promptly forgotten the, <laughs> the name of it because I just look at the color of the uh, logo, not, Same. The, <laughs> not I know, the, the name of the coffee. I know I always love the green ones. Yeah, so this is, uh, it's called El Chalum. It is a Guatemalan uh, washed. Tastes like grapefruit, blackberry, ripe strawberry, plum, and cacao. Cacao? Multi-layered with and sweet with a delicate acidity. And Jono assures me it is the perfect omni-roast. I goes well black and milky. And I've oh. had several of them this morning in sweet. pursuing that. And they are delicious. Get yourself your hands on some delicious prism. Use the code PeakSpeak for a yep. sick-ass discount. Get it in your face. That's right. So, how are you, my friend? Here we are. Almost two weeks in a row. It's not really, though. <laughs> twice in the last three weeks <laughs> very good very good uh we got pro on this weekend yeah uh, so heading down there taking a big ass team to that and hopefully walk away with some trophies not me the other people um, yeah so you've you've pulled the pin officially i've pulled the pin on three lift i've told marcus i'll jump in deadlift only uh, but I, I physically can't squat yeah like there's there's just so much neural block as soon as I get about halfway down, my body's like, don't do this. And yeah. I'm it's confident it, that if, if I force it down, it's going to rip off. And so even if I did hit depth, I'm in so much pain after doing a full squat they that I wouldn't be able to deadlift, deadlift anyway. Yeah. So um, I'll try to heal up in time and, and run for a, a deadlift. But I mean, put it this way, I'm not going to sacrifice because it's the tendon that's torn. It's a partial mm. tear, partial thickness tear of the adductor tendon. I'm not going to rip that thing off the bone for... Fun, fucking you deadlift. Know? Yeah. So I'll I'll go and deadlift, but I'll play safe. If it's not feeling good, I'll pull out. So yeah, fair enough. Um, Sounds like a very intelligent plan, Thomas. Well done. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, this is the benefit of coaching. I don't have to lift to win a bunch of trophies. So um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's yeah. it's like the ultimate living vicariously through your child. Uh, exactly. Thing. That's that's my thing. I'm lifetime mediocre athlete. Just coach a bunch of people who are better than me, and that's then right. feel like I won through them. That's great. Exactly. So it, it'll be interesting. It'll be a good comp. I don't know how closely you've been following it. Um, uh, uh, you know, obviously with with COVID and the changes and everything, it hasn't really been promoted that much. So. A lot of people don't know who's in what class and what's going on, um, but because I've been prepping for it and coaching a bunch of people prepping for it, I've, I've got a little bit of a handle. So um, in the 110s is probably going to be the most competitive division. You've got four or five lifters all lifting very similar uh, numbers, um, and three of them are zero people. So it'll be a really fun day. Is that, um, does that include, is it Jordan, your man from yeah, Jordan the, the pond? He's our coach in the, in the UK. So he's competing. Uh, then we've got Rido who, who lifts out of the, the Gold Coast gym. Um, Josh Rayson, who's a lifter in Melbourne. Um, they are all competing in the 110s. I should have been Josh, there. But Josh has been around for a while. Yeah, Josh has been around forever. He had an unfortunate injury a little while ago where he tore his bicep. Uh, moving a monolift and, and trying to move a platform out of the way while he had a monolift in one hand. Um, oh, what a kick in the balls. Yeah, so he switched to bodybuilding for a while and now he's come back to powerlifting and um, yeah, jumped nice. on board with us and uh, his prep's gone really well. Uh, then in the in the big boys, in the supers, you've got Vasa versus um, Joseph Whitaker from New Zealand. So that'll be- oh, a, yeah. He's <laughs> fucking Action Bronson. Yeah. Powerlifting yeah. Action Bronson. Jacked a- Action Bronson. Um, so jo- Joseph has some really big goals and he's an incredible lifter. So I'm, I'm yeah, really man. excited to exciting. see that. Um, I'm, I'm keen to see um, Anthony, whose last name I'm not even going to try and pronounce. Krizna. Krizna. There you go. I'm keen to see him lift. Uh, he yeah, looks so like he's he is ready to lift some big numbers, which would be cool. Yes. I'm also yes, excited yes, yes. to see JP Kauke in a uh, pair of knee wraps in a monolith. wraps. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We got Josh Takua from here. He's doing the sleeve division. Jen, Jen Smith is doing sleeves this year as well. Oh, is she cool? Um, in the 56s as well. So she's the lightest that she's been yeah, in years. She's right? shredded yeah. and she is very strong. A yeah. very impressive lifter. So yeah. Um, she had a long hiatus off of weightlifting and powerlifting. Um, just playing around with a few other things and um, basically a long training break. And this is her first competition back and she's crushed the prep. So looking yeah, nice. forward to see how she goes. Awesome, man. Should be a cool weekend. How are things over your way? Yeah, no major complaints. Uh, we're like approaching GPC State. So we've got a big team prepping for that, which is always fun. Makes the you know atmosphere on a couple of different nights, like just picks things up a little bit and yeah. you know, the, that sort of feeling, which is always cool. And it's cool just for... All these people that I know have been capable of lots to to start seeing that realize, you know, mm. like this is always the really fun part of the training cycle where a lot yes. of people who've been, you know, potentially doubting themselves for a little while or feeling like they haven't made progress can start to get to see that progress in reality, which is really cool. Uh, so, yeah, doing that. Then we've got a novice comp like a couple of weeks after that, uh, which Stefan's coming down for, which should be good. Mm. Yeah. It's, otherwise, life is just plugging on. Amazing. Well, we uh, had a bit of a chat before the podcast and we're going to talk about, um, uh, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Being a lifetime intermediate. Being a recreational <laughs> powerlifter. Yeah, how to be mediocre at a sport for a long time and <laughs> still have a good time. Yeah, uh, so this is mostly spurred by a discussion that I had with uh, Tom Musgrove, one of the guys at the gym. Shout out Musgrove, who is one of the only people that has successfully derailed every fucking training session I've ever done because we have an ability to just end up talking shit for hours <laughs> and not doing anything. 
um, we are both as bad as each other. It is a really, really serious spiral of enabling shit talk that ends up in neither of us doing anything <laughs> productive. Um, and in one of those sessions, we were talking about uh, whether he's going to do states and then take some time off and like, well, not off, but not compete again this year and work on building towards another comp next year right it's been a while for a, for a lot of our lifters it's been a while since they've hit the platform so and i think that's a pretty ubiquitous experience for a lot of people at the moment mm. and um and i think that often we talk about this approach to like you know two or three comps a year people like always moving towards the next comp and Tom and I were talking about his approach being like, oh, I actually quite enjoy the like, you know, only competing once a year thing. And that being like that bit, one big prep a year. And then the rest of the year is focused on just still like making progress towards getting stronger and, and doing all those sort of things, but not having this all in mentality all the time and being able to enjoy the process a little bit more. And I, I think from his point of view, he's of a similar age to us came up through the the same sort of time period of powerlifting where we've all now been doing it for a little while and i think uh for a lot of people there seems to be this drop-off point where like either they get the uptick that is they start taking things really seriously and really push hard to like compete on a national level do those sort of things or they kind of drop off and never come back again and i think the middle ground is the bit that's missing because i don't think enough people acknowledge that it's totally okay to like do one meet a year and not feel like you have to make a ton of progress all the time forever. And it can actually be a really, really powerful way of framing your training process from a long-term standpoint. For sure. And I, I you know, it's very, um, it's very congruent with just the journey of, of the experienced lifter or the, or the elite lifter, which is mm. as you go through the sport, you sort of, uh, you know, you start because you love training, you love training because you see the result. You want to express that result. So you start the sport. You fall in love with the sport. As the love develops, you realize that the training is actually just work. Um, and the work is going towards a specific thing. So you, you cling on because of the sport. Then as you mature, you're like, okay, well, competing too often is actually counterproductive to making progress. And the elite level lifter is kind of like recognizes that, puts the work into training, uh, but it's exactly the same for the person that spends the same time period doing that, but is an elite. And yeah. the difference is, is that they develop that maturity and they're like, oh, I don't actually have to compete that often. And what happens is that they recognize, I actually just really love the training. Like yeah. I love training. That's why I keep going. And so it's a, it's a really cool thing that this sport offers is that you don't have to be elite to enjoy it. Yeah. And so, you know, you can, you can keep going and you can compete at a reasonably high level without winning every comp. Like you can go to nationals and see the crew and have a great time and not win. Um, and still, you know, go through this journey of love the training, get a little bit stronger. And when you detach from the sport like that, you can make your training a bit more varied and a bit more enjoyable. It, it really de-stresses people. And if I'm honest, I would say over the years, the majority of the business that I've built is with people like that. Yeah. Same. Because, you know, the up and comers tend to go off in different directions or yep. come up too quickly and then drop off the face of the earth. Yeah, which we've the, seen forever. For sure. The the elite are far and few between and reserved for the more elite coaches. Where, they're, where the real numbers are in this sport are those people that, yep. you know, love the sport, love the training and just uh, they're kind of they're not the standout lifters in terms of winning competitions. Uh, but they're the faces that you see at every at every major comp that you know that are just like they're part of the furniture, even though they they may not be competing all the time. Yeah, and look, 
mostly I'd just like to talk exclusively to Musgrove. We are just going to use this entire episode to refer to you as a mediocre lifter, and he'll be totally okay with that. Because <laughs> I think the the cool thing that I like about Tom specifically, his attitude, but also like it's very much the attitude I've had to things. Like I've never been an elite lifter. I've been like average for a long time and still really always enjoyed the process. And for me now, I in my training, I've moved past the need to do things in a competitive environment, in the lifting space. You know, for me, the big deadlift I pulled at the end of the year, like in the gym, means as much to me as any competition deadlift because of like, it's the same as far as I'm concerned, right? Like I, I don't need that validation anymore, but still being involved in the sport and it means that I like, I have a slightly different approach to this because this is also what I do for work. Yeah. Um, but to be able to enjoy that in a way that, allows you to like you said detach from it a little bit and be able to not beat yourself into submission constantly because i think sometimes especially with those those lifters that cross that beginner threshold and have done a lot of comps early on and you know i still encourage that as a a way of getting into the sport is like compete early and compete often and then there's that middle period where people sometimes just end up beating themselves against a wall in a way that isn't productive to actually being a part of this for a long time because for, mm -hmm. for me as a coach I want to see you lift weights forever. Like I want to see you continue training in some form forever because that's the thing that I love. It's not necessarily powerlifting as a sport. That's definitely a fucking great vehicle for it. And it's certainly what got me to where I am today. But recognizing that the cool thing I have seen in my own development has been how overwhelmingly positive the ongoing training process in some form has been to my life. Uh -huh. And so if powerlifting is that thing that like for four to six months of the year you can focus on and then for the other six months of the year you can focus on enjoying the training process and pursuing different athletic endeavors whether you do that competitively or not and then to be able to come back and go back and forwards between those i think that's where the real power for a lot of people lies but it just doesn't get talked about enough mm -hmm. i'm also surprised not surprised i mean because it's not that surprising uh, but a lot of a lot of now elite lifters were these lifters uh, yeah, that were just doing a couple of comps a year and just loving training that just trained Never wisely, stopped. didn't freak out. Yeah. Yeah. And just kept going, uh, you know, add a little bit to your total each year of, you know, over five years, 10 kilos a year is 50 to your total, you know, over 10 years, it's a hundred. It's a lot of kilos to your total. Yeah. Uh, especially if you, uh, you know, improving quicker than that or starting at a reasonably high point, you know, a lot of, uh, Elite lifters don't just come out of nowhere. People come yeah. elite after a long history of, and uh, I'm saying that more as like some people don't realize how good they are until <laughs> until they start winning just out of nowhere. Yeah, because uh, it, it's funny that the opposite is like the people with this massive drive to be the best. Uh, uh, and I'm I'm speaking purely from anecdotal experience, working with thousands of people over the year and working with a lot of champions. A lot of the champions weren't those people. That yeah. were like, I have to win. I have to be the best. I have to be better. They were just like, I love training. I love training hard. I'm pretty good at this. I'm just going to keep going. Then all of yeah. a sudden, they are the best. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it's that idea that um, it's better to be consistently good than occasionally great. I heard that thrown around recently. It's like, yeah, that is actually so relevant to something like powerlifting that I think especially now because of how different powerlifting looks now to when we got into it oh. 
there weren't as many people like you and I who'd been around for a long time and had a voice in the sport in a way that we now do and people like us have. And I think it's important for us to be able to have these conversations in a way that encourages both ends of the spectrum because for me like i don't ever want to turn away someone who's like hyper competitive and turn that down i just want to be able to hold them back just enough so they don't run themselves into the ground right Mm. like that's you know that's what a good coach can do with someone like that is you you spend a long time just like holding onto the t-shirt a little bit pulling them back just enough to let them loose when you need to uh and i i still love that i really enjoy that but I also really enjoy being able to find, help someone find a passion for working hard and doing those things, but in a way that balances with what they want to do in life and all of right. those sort of things. I think that the Instagram misconception is that like you have to put powerlifter in your Instagram handle and like you have to live and breathe this sport. And like we've done it. <laughs> I'm like I have fucking no desire to do it anymore. Not like that. Uh, but. I don't think it has to look like that. And I think mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who get turned away probably early on because there's not enough discussion about, hey, it's okay to like not fucking die for the sport. Just do it because it's fun and, yeah. and enjoy making a little bit of progress at a time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's that point about like when we started and, and people not having this voice because there were people around that had been around yeah. forever. It's just so interesting that the conversation now is about longevity you know, that we have a lot, you know, people like us have this conversation around longevity and playing the long game and it's a marathon, not a sprint and all that. Um, it's not like it hasn't always been like that. I, you know, and uh, I don't know how accurate this is, but I, you know, I feel like the advent of social media and rapid progression um, and the desire for rapid progression, the shift in our general mindset in life to have everything and have everything right now um, has made people uh, crash and burn very quickly and yeah. we sound like we're just like you know beating this dead horse of no longevity look after yourself to play the long game and all that we only speak like this because we've watched so many people just fucking crash and burn and, and in I, a big way i recorded a podcast with the guys from the uh stc fit learning yeah, uh, I, need a, I, I saw that pop up i'm gonna listen to it yeah honestly man i i loved it i i listened i don't often listen back to podcasts like that uh, but I listened to the whole thing again because it was just a really great conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and what I did then was completely forget the point that I was going to make. Uh, no, it's fucking gone. Longevity, getting into it. Fuck. Okay, <laughs> it'll come back. Yeah, it'll come. It'll back. come back. Yeah, I feel like the the dinosaurs of the sport back then, you know, the guidance that we had. Um, it was it like it was built on such a foundation just bro science yeah um, it f- built on such a foundation of like oh, don't be a fucking pussy just fucking keep lifting and lift heavy yeah. and you know the, the, and the, what- the thing is you look at some of those people now you're like oh I don't want to move like that yeah oh, that's why you can't walk when you rock up yeah. to a comp and your knees are sticking out sideways instead of going back and forth yeah yeah <laughs> exactly and um, so I remembered my point it was about that idea of like uh being able to list uh, like i reckon i could sit here and off the top of my head give you like 25 names men and women who were the next big thing in power at least like yeah without that and that's without like having to prepare anything yeah. I reckon between us we could probably get to 100 names with like <laughs> 10 minutes present preparation right 
and we could just run down a list of people who were going to be like who are great as juniors or who had like two really good years and then just fucking disappear completely mm-hmm. and those are the people that they're the prodigies right they're the people who are yeah 100% going to be the thing and you just never hear from them again because they burn so hot so fast in a sport that rewards consistently good over occasionally great mm. like you know Ed Cohn's always the example right like I competed for 20 fucking years yeah. and he went from the 75 kilo weight class all the way up to the ten, 110s over 20 years and dominated everything because yep. he just kept chipping away at it for 20 fucking years. Yeah. And that's that's the bit that I think wasn't made as explicitly clear to us when we came up through it, right? Because it was the guys like Westside, like, you know, RIP Louie, shout out, pulling out for the homie. But I... I don't want to walk around like he did before he died. Like I don't, I don't want my body to be like that. You know, mm. I'm I'm not willing to sacrifice that for that sport, and I don't don't diminish that. Like I think if that's the way you express things, great, go for it, man, live your life. But I don't think it has to be that. You know, there's this misconception from a lot of those sort of people that this is the only way to do it. It's like, yeah. well, maybe not. <laughs> And yeah. for us, it's a like it's a business decision as well, right? If you market yourself entirely as this is the only way to do it, you got to live, you got to live the life, you got to toe the line. Well, then you're not going to make a very good fucking business. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I um I had a really go- good conversation with Angus Bradley recently around uh, weightlifting training. Yeah. Um, and you know my observation of weightlifting training is that people, especially you know countries like us who are really behind the eight ball in terms of our presence in something like weightlifting um you know it's not it's not the absence of talent as much as like the um, absence of the the system yeah the recognition and development of talent through the right channels and i uh, you know from an external viewpoint because i'm not involved in weightlifting in any way shape or form from an external viewpoint it looks like we've gone like what are the russians doing what are the chinese doing what are the americans doing looking at the top lifters reverse engineering the training and being like we should do that yeah and and i feel like powerlifting's actually taken a shift in that direction where people have gone like hyper specific hyper frequent squat bench deadlift and it's it's a it's a fast track to making no progress or going yeah. backwards or getting hurt or exiting the sport yeah and it's again in this pursuit of like chasing chasing everything at once and so i i feel so um, warm and fuzzy about the the toms of the world who um, love training, love the sport, you know, are happy to compete compete recreationally because they're they're living, breathing examples of the fact that you can make progress without flogging yourself and can do so over a long period of time. Man, he's going to hit probably lifetime PBs in all three. Uh, sorry, there's someone has entered the gym and Huxley's got something to say about it in the background. Um, <laughs> But yeah, th- that's that's the thing is that I think I like I really like aspects of the sport where we go hyper specific, and I think that's where my like my coaching process has evolved. Mm-hmm. Is I'm now much better at being able to silo those parts of the training into the relevant aspects of it. Yes. So I'm I have a much better understanding. It's you know Angus talks about it the the idea of understanding the stimulus that you're trying to impart, not the exercise itself, right? And once you you can understand that framework as a way to view training for someone who just wants to be strong and fit and healthy and enjoy training, but also occasionally compete in powerlifting. Well, then what you can do is be able to create a like a long term you know one to two year training process that they do end up stronger on that one day that matters, 
but also they don't get either beaten into the ground through just monotonously and relentlessly bashing away at low bar squats, big arch benches and conventional deadlifts or whatever it is and enjoy the process from a mental and physical standpoint and still hit numbers on the platform that they're happy and proud of, you know? Mm. Uh, And I think there's a lot of value in, for me at least, in being able to use that lens more broadly now because I have just then a much better understanding of how to have these conversations with people who express the desire to do some sort of competing but don't like you can see them hesitate at the the concept of like i don't want to be a power lifter i just want to occasionally compete and like you know that's why we do things like novice comps right like you don't even have to fucking join a federation if you don't want to Mm. if you just want to turn up once a year and compete in one of our novice comps fuck yeah i'm all about that because that's okay too you know there, there are so many different ways to to be involved with and compete in this sport that I think get shunned a little bit because they're not the all or nothing approach that looks sexy on Instagram. Yep. 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 I had a, I had a cool conversation with, with one of my coach development groups yesterday about the, the reality of programming. Someone, you know, asked, asked at what point does staying in a particular block, like a particular phase of programming become redundant? Like when is it going to go stale to the point where you need to break adaptations and, and change gears? And I was like, this is a great question because it allows us to look at what training um, looks like on paper, look at the theoretical, play around with the theoretical, and then realize that in practicality, you almost never reach points where that becomes an issue no. because people want different things. They're just like, oh, I'm sick of doing this. I want to change. So before yep. you even get to the point of making a phase of training stale, a person is going to be like, you know what? I feel like doing high reps. I feel like yep. maxing out. I feel like peaking. And again, God bless these people who are just happy to train and love training because they almost self-select that that process we can be the guiding light to ensure that progress is happening all the time um but it's it's really reassuring for people who um you know uh, are involved in powerlifting in some capacity but aren't super serious about it that are truly considering themselves as as recreational lifters which is great because it's for you and as long as you are happy with what you are doing and you are happy with the progress you're making there's no one out there telling you you have to be elite and you have to be the best um so fucking enjoy it because we are with you 100 percent of the way uh and then we become that guiding light to be like look i know that's what you want to do but you know just in terms of mapping this out long term maybe we do this first and then we pivot into that or something like that and so we can guide them to do all these things that they love and that they enjoy and add variation and add different training styles and still ensure that the progress is being made at the same time it's a joy as a coach to be able to facilitate uh a programming structure over the long term that satisfies the underlying desire of being stronger because if you ask anyone do you want to be weaker they're going to say no but also satisfies we come to the gym because we fucking love it and we want to enjoy it and sometimes doing things um that are uh optimal for progress just become fucking boring just become stale and you can have good for progress maybe not completely optimal good for progress still make progress and have fun and tick all the other boxes as well man one of my favorite things increasingly as a coach is being able to say to the a lifter at the end of a training block who like doesn't have a comp date coming up or anything like that just be like hey we're just going to do exactly that training block again but with more weight because <laughs> they come at, they they get to the end of the review you know the end of block review like having heaps of fun feel like i'm making progress not sore or beaten up really enjoyed this block 
fuck yeah let's just do it again like why do we have to change things and i think for me for a very long time it was always like okay well what's next in the progression right but like there's actually nothing wrong with being able to show and now that i've got a much better system in my coaching processes for being able to show you that you're making progress even if maybe it doesn't look like it on first glance being able to just say hey cool we're just going to do that again like cool we'll change those that exercise that you don't really like that much maybe we don't change anything maybe we literally just put the exact same thing in and i just like bump the input maxes up a little bit to align with what your predicted maxes are or something like that right like just enough to ensure that you've just got that little push forward but then you can keep going because you found something that works why the fuck should we change it Mm. you know like for me so long that that end of block mentality was like okay it's like it's a stepping stone process to the next one which definitely works and it definitely is but it doesn't always have to be. Yeah. You can, you can just do the next thing, you know, to do it exactly the same and be able to just add a little bit more weight and continue to make that adaptation, especially if you're enjoying it. Hmm. I think in the past, I've definitely been guilty of moving someone on prematurely because I felt like that was the right time to do it rather than being able to embrace the fact that they were having fun and feeling like they were making progress and enjoying the, the training aspects of it and just let them keep going. Yeah, 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 and, and and doing like it's it's interesting how we have this pro, uh, this perception that's built in of like there has to be a progression, there has to be a change in block, there has to be something different in the next block, and the next block, and the next block. Muscle the, confusion. There's the, well, there's nothing to. We just have this perception, and, and we all tend to have it. Yeah. And there's literally no reason why, no. besides like it seems it seems logical. Yeah. And the irony of it is that if you chop and change blocks and phases all the time, you never build enough momentum in a phase to actually overcome the adaptations and get better. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm doing a four-week hypertrophy block. Cool. How much muscle are you putting on in four weeks? Yeah, You're not doing a fucking four-week hypertrophy block. You're doing a four-week block of percentages and rep ranges that might be good for hypertrophy there's a difference you know you're not actually building muscle in fucking four weeks and if you are it's not worth talking about yeah um and so like this idea you're taking so many drugs you might explode yeah well all that um this is but i mean throw the drugs thing in the mix people who are on drugs still yeah Yeah. they grow grow a bit faster than people who aren't but it's still fucking hard to put on slabs of muscle it's it's especially in four weeks yeah it doesn't happen like that anyway um like this notion of it's okay to just do the same thing over yeah. and over for a little while. It's not forever, yeah. but yeah, for yeah. a little while, it's okay to do that. Um, and in some cases, it's probably great to encourage it. Like in the case that John was just talking about, it's like, well, did you love it? Was it great? Did it do the job? Let's do it again. Yeah. And then maybe at the end of that, you love it and you do it one more time. Or maybe at the end of that, you'd probably like, uh, and this is what I was saying before, it will become self-selecting. Someone yeah, will yeah. go through that two or three times and be like, you know what? I want something different. It's like, yep. cool. Well, this actually lines up to a good time to do something different. Yeah. And increasingly, I see the pattern where by the time the person gets to that, their progress is probably stalled anyway. Like, mm. And that's where having a, a good process for how you collect and look at data from a training standpoint allows you to make a objective decision with uh sorry a decision with both objective feedback and subjective feedback Mm. that's why for me like you know i always do like an end of block review because i want to be able to just have the people and like how do you feel like that block went how was your compliance like have that self-assessment so that you can be more in tune with how your body's feeling and those sort of things so that you can then help me make those decisions with you as opposed to me make those decisions for you and i think sometimes that's where 
in the past as a coach I've fallen down I've seen a lot of people fall down is it like this is the way it's done and this is how it works as opposed to having a really solid set of principles that you can then be fluid with the application of in a way that allows the lifter to enjoy the process first and foremost because I increasingly I think that's the most important part it doesn't actually matter what you fucking do as long as you enjoy it because then you'll be able to put the effort in that is required to actually make any form of progress Mm. so if you're not ticking that box first then i think you're doing yourself or your clients a disservice but from there it's like okay well are you the sort of person that needs to be pushed really really hard all the time or do you need a bit more variety or how does that all work and what does it look like for that individual I, do, I, I kind of like I've got this picture in my head of these these lifetime intermediates and the people who cross this threshold as experienced lifters as well they're, they're like they're unchained you know do you do you remember John Sheridan do you remember when you first were like well, hang on I, I don't actually have to train for powerlifting <laughs> it's like so liberating I remember just I remember feeling like I can actually train however the fuck I want <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then when it, you start doing that and start like falling in love with training again your progress is like i'm actually i'm getting stronger and i'm not even like hell bent on getting stronger right now man i hit an all-time equal deadlift pr at the end of last year on like six weeks of hard training like, <laughs> and like 400 kilos lighter as well yeah yeah and yeah like <laughs> 10 or something kilos lighter a resting heart rate 25 beats lower than it's ever been in my life like all these things that point to i shouldn't be that strong but then i still managed to pull that number because it i just like i really enjoyed it for that little period of time i don't like i was like oh like maybe i'll push hard for a deadlift goal and then i like got two weeks into training i was like ah fuck it <laughs> like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually like i don't want to train for six months for a deadlift dra- goal i probably only want to do six hard weeks of training and like i'll do some stuff that'll move me towards that But for now, my training goal is very different. And I think for me, that's definitely been the most liberating aspect of my athletic development over the last four or five years has been finding the love of the training process in a lens that doesn't have powerlifting involved in. Uh Like I still tell people, like I haven't squatted with a straight bar in probably a couple of years at this point, other than like demoing it for people and, you know, that sort of thing. I don't know that I want to Mm. because I, I know in my heart of hearts in the depths of my soul that i will have a really really fucking hard time not just getting stupidly fat and strong again because <laughs> i'll get under a straight bar and be like i feel really weak yeah and like squats were always the thing i was good at and i fucking love squatting and then all of a sudden i'll be 30 kilos heavier again and a disgusting slob of a man uh <laughs> and i have no desire to go back to that so i'm just like you know it's like don't have snacks in my house if mm. there are snacks in my house i will eat them <laughs> like I have no willpower that I just the I know that the only way my brain works is just don't expose myself to that and I won't eat them and it's fine yeah same with straight bar squats yeah because I know it's a slippery slope to like whoops I'm one fucking 40 again and I just uh-huh. threw out all my fat clothes and now I've got to like <laughs> buy new again. ones again fuck <laughs> oh uh, dear yeah but my my experience is a bit different I'm still very much tied into my identity as a powerlifter but the shift in experience level and time in the sport has made me completely time blind. Like I feel no pressure to compete anytime yeah. soon. I feel like every yeah. every time I choose to uh, to prep for a comp or to peak is a choice. And I don't feel any pressure on myself or externally to have to do that. I do it when I want to do that. And yeah. there's, there's an amazing sense of just freedom with that. 
feels good. Yeah, man. And not having that pressure that was never fucking there anyway. Like, no, very much self-imposed. And yeah. you, it, it's worse in our positions because you're like, oh, I'm, I'm the coach guy. I'm the leader of the gym. I have to be lifting. Yeah, like, th- I mean, there is an element of truth to it, but it's very, very, very self-imposed. Dude, and every time I, over the last handful of years, every time I've gotten more serious about training, I get comments from people in the gym, even if it's not like powerlifting related. Like, it's cool to see you training hard again. Like, because I post more about it, I do those things, and I'm having these conversations with people that I didn't have an opportunity to have because I, I wasn't putting it out there into the world that that's what I was doing and it looked different, and here's why. And being able to process that myself through like the language I'm using and the way I talk about these things in Instagram posts and in podcasts and stuff like that has actually been super therapeutic for me to be able to process this evolution in my identity because as you said like i was i was it i'm a fucking underscore power lifter mm. you know like I, I am a power lifter as opposed to the idea that i do powerlifting. Mm. uh and it's taken me years to move past that like mm. l- literally years to move past it and um i feel so much lighter because of it like both literally and figuratively i feel lighter because i don't have that pressure on my back anymore that like you said entirely self-opposed you know, and it's one of those things that, especially now having owned a gym for long enough that I've seen like a full evolution of our membership base, right? There's a handful of people who've been around from the start, but increasingly there's less of them because they're just being outgrown by the other people that, you know, have in, it, it, it come into the community. So there's a whole segment of, you know, the vast majority of my, my client base has never seen me train hard for a like powerlifting meet. Hmm. You know, they weren't there in the days where it was like four hour squat sessions. There's only a handful of those people left. And so being able to show that you can walk the walk, you know, because despite the fact that maybe I don't train for powerlifting, I am willing to lay it on the table that I will out train anyone in my gym. Like if, if I really want to, I will run you all into the ground because I'm insanely fucking competitive. But I just don't need to anymore. Like that's not, the, I'm not proving anything to anyone. It's the same idea with that not needing to do it in a comp environment. I don't have, I'm not trying to prove it to anyone anymore. Like it's not about anyone else. It's about me and being able to actually accept that makes the whole process way more liberating Hmm. and way more enjoyable. Amazing. Lifetime intermediates. God bless you. Thank you. (laughs) I'm just here to be really mediocre at a bunch of incredibly niche aspects of sport. Love it. That's why I think my next training goal is to run a sub four hour marathon because I don't think there's anyone else in the world who can say they've squatted 400 and run a sub four marathon. Very, very, very highly If you know anyone, please tell me because I'm genuinely curious. Yeah, and then you can smoke their time. That's exactly it. Exactly. (laughs) Because I'm not squatting over 400 again. I'm done with that. My (laughs) only hope is my marathon time. All right. Well, I think it's a good place to end. I agree. Goodbye. Amazing. Goodbye. (laughs) 